Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the walls of world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finish number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J.Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Hey, this Brian's up. Summer is finally here, and if you're like me, you've got some serious riding planned. Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, metric cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at Dennis Kirk. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock. Clothing and helmets, too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. I'm rocking out, man. That's all I have to say. Our guest will join us in a couple of seconds. By the way, uh, guest is ready. Oh, Ray Scott's ready. Mr. Scott, how are you? Hello. Well, it says he's ready. Is he here? He's not on there. Unless we have the wrong number. We have someone on the phone. <laughs> Who could it be? Actual Ray Scott. Yeah, it might be the other Ray. No, he, yeah. he passed. So That's what I'm saying. It would be, you know. <laughs> that would be a little We're calling the other side. Yeah. Okay, so we don't. We have Ray Scott, but we don't have Ray Scott? Apparently. Huh. Everything looks good on my end. Oh, that's unfortunate. <coughs> uh, the pre-order is coming out on June 14th. That is tomorrow, of course, because today book. is Sage's birthday. 
Oh, that sure great. is. He's four years old today. Four years old. Wow. Yep. Oh. <clears throat> all you need to all know. All the enthusiasm. There we go. Try now. Uh, Mr. You, Scott, how are you? I'm good. You, you, you got me. There, there we go. go. There you are. I don't know if that's a good thing to say. You, you got me. <laughs> you got me. That well, might... remember, I'm a kid from South Philly. You know, we get used to things like that. <laughs> yes, I do understand that, uh, ladies and gentlemen. The uh, Ray Scott with us, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, you know, obviously, you know, because he was a national figure as well. But Ray Scott was from Minnesota. The uh, the the sports announcer was from Minnesota. That's correct. He, That's indeed, correct. so. My with the Green Bay Packers. Yes. There you have it. Ray Scott, ladies and gentlemen, the book is called The NBA in Black and White, The Memoir of a Trailblazing NBA Player and Coach. You know, the one thing I'm very upset about, and you should be too, Ray, is that there's Earl the Pearl Monroe who did the introduction of your book. So there's Earl the Pearl, there's Clyde the Glide. What do I get, Tom the Bomb? What? Ray, it's not fair. It's not fair. I should have a better slogan than that. If we have to go on with this interview, I'm going to be very careful with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, please. Please do, Ray. Please do. A memoir of hard lessons learned in the racially segregated and sometimes outright racist NBA of the early 1960s, celebrated by NBA player and the first black coach of the year, Ray Scott. Introduction, as I said, introduced by Earl the Pearl Monroe. Yeah, it's a whole whole different deal, isn't it? You know, I I want to mention something very quickly. Do we lose him? Uh, I think we lost the fake original call. Okay, good, good. Yeah, Yeah, another line just dropped out. I wanted to make sure that it wasn't you. Um, You know what's interesting, Ray, is that you talk about a memoir, Hard Lessons Learned, and Racially Segregated, Sometimes Outright Racist NBA in the early 1960s. You know, and this ties in in a way, Ray, because people were trying in the 60s, at least in the late 60s, I pointed out going back. I, what I do is I, I pretty much count on television to compare 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, 2000, all the way through today. Yeah. And yeah. people don't know that Dragnet, that Jack Webb hired many, many, many black actors to play doctors and lawyers and police chiefs and all that stuff. And he never got any credit for it at all, right? It was weird. Yeah. And I don't understand. Did yeah, you understand why that happened? That, no, yeah, I do. It, it, because when you have change, you know, change for us, I think, uh, coming out of my teenage years and being 22 going into the NBA, change is hit and miss, uh, particularly in the 60s, mm-hmm. because there was no prescribed way to handle things. There were so many heroes in that era yeah. of, yep. of people moving race relations forward. I mean, I know that. It it was in music. It was in clothing. It was in uh, television. It was in radio. People were really doing the best that they could do to move equality forward. But we had jumbled it up so badly prior to those years. And we jumbled it up so badly with assassinations of people that were doing the grunt work, the people, the, the Kennedys, uh, Dr. King, mm-hmm. Malcolm X, Medgar Evers, all these people murdered. So it was it was kind of a hit and miss. It wasn't like a smooth, transitional, receptive right. thing in America right. at that time. And so I'm observing this from the seat of a basketball player, uh, blessed 
as I was because, and I say blessed because, remember, Tom, I had the good fortune to look at America as a 22-year-old kid with money in my pocket. Yeah. I was not the quintessential African-American kid, poor in the neighborhood, couldn't get a break, got to deal drugs, got to steal. I wasn't that guy. And I don't want to represent myself as that guy because I was clearly blessed, clearly blessed. See, that's wonderful. When I started speaking out in the 60s and and participating and and walking with people and walking in uh, 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 protests and so forth, when that stuff happened, I was walking around with money. And it's maybe no more than three or four hundred bucks compared to what (laughs) the guys walk around yeah. in their pockets yeah. today. <laughs> Did but, you... but that was such a, a security thing and a security place, I believe, at that time at 22, 23, 24, 25, to speak from that, from that uh, perspective uh, was, was really, I was really blessed. Did you make much as a coach? Uh, I'm, I'm, oh yeah, I made much more as a coach than I did as a player. Oh, oh really? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We and I'll tell you why. We were coming into the era of television. Oh, so sure. the owners had a lot more disposable income. Mm, yeah. And our guy Oscar Robertson knew that, and was putting pressure on them about those things. Okay. Remember, the owners went from promoters like Eddie Gottlieb and Ben Kerner. Uh, uh, Ned Irish, those guys were promoters, but the owners then became, well, not billionaires at that time, but millionaires. Sure. And I remember sitting with one, Jack Kent Cook, who owned the Washington Redskins right. and the Los Angeles Lakers. So the whole dialogue began to change, uh, but it was through the work of, of Oscar Robertson and, and maneuvering our Players Association but money when I started, it wasn't even a factor. I signed a, I signed a, I went, came to Detroit. I signed a two-year contract for twenty-five thousand dollars, and I got a, of the twenty-five thousand, a thousand of it was a bonus. Okay. And imagine a twenty-two-year-old kid coming to Detroit. I, I probably had what five bucks my mother gave <laughs> me before I got on the plane. Yeah. I get out here, and I'm going back home to Philadelphia. With a thousand dollars in my pocket. Although in the so a- a- oh, good. Mm-hmm. No, in, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. In the ABA, you were getting paid in like apples and and sandwiches, weren't you? No, no. You know that's you know the ABA took a bad hit on that, but that was early on. You know they lasted ten years, but the ABA, God bless them, that was the happiest two years of my life I had in basketball and playing basketball. Because the guys were so united, it was like being on the schoolyard with the best players coming over, and the, and and we all liked each other. We all hung out with each other, but we all beat each other's brains out. And it, it was just a, a great time. But that two-year period that I was there in the in the ABA, remember, I was with the great Charlie Scott coming out of North Carolina. Sure, that was our leading player my first year. My second year, I got to play with Julius Irving. And we all know where that story went. Yeah. So that was like, you know, man, the ABA was on its way. And I, I really think the, that Julius 
helped the ABA to soar, sure. as well as Artis Gilmore, as well as Dan Essel, Louis Dampierre, Daryl Carrier. The the uh, the ABA did a great job uh, in in lasting the ten years that they lasted, uh, given the resources that they had. Did you ever play against Connie? Did you spend much time playing against him? Connie. Oh yeah, Connie was a best friend. I played I, my freshman year of basketball when I left Philadelphia was in Brooklyn oh, at City Tech. At sure, three hundred Pearl Street. Well, Connie was a Brooklyn guy. He lived over in Kingston, and we used to go over and play on Sundays. And I was like, "Who's this sixteen-year-old kid? He's so doggone good." And and in those days, you know, they didn't pass you the ball if you were a sixteen-year-old <laughs> kid. So I, you know, I thought I was going pretty good, you know. <laughs> Until I saw him for real in high school, uh, but Connie, yes, I, I knew I knew Connie. We were good friends. I like to think that. And uh, uh, but Connie was the successor to Elgin Baylor, the Flyers. There were four Flyers in the NBA in the history of basketball: Elgin Baylor, Connie Hawkins, Michael Jordan. You got to get Mike in there, and uh, and Julius and Dr. J. Yeah. Those four guys. Yeah, they played. They just—they not only played the rim, they played exquisitely above the rim. Yeah, was so, Connie the best know, they, of them? They was, no. Okay. Not in my opinion. Not in my opinion. And in fact, of that group, and I, and I and I and just for argument's sake, in that group there was no best of them because they were all so fantastic in their eras. Elgin Baylor, what are you going to take from Elgin? 36 points, 20 rebounds a game. Tommy, unbelievable. Michael, unbelievable. Julius, unbelievable. And they were all successful. So I, I, I don't like to compare them. I just like to talk about them and their exquisite talents. Which is a good, good way to go. By the way, I need to mention very quickly that uh, yet another professional athlete became a billionaire uh, they uh, said Tiger Woods just became a billionaire. I thought he already was, but they said he just became a billionaire. Uh, you've got LeBron James, you've got Michael uh, Jordan, and you've got Tiger Woods now. And three, the three uh-huh. men, of course, who became billionaires playing sports would all be African-American, which I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, Ray, let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask you some very direct questions, and, and I hope you know you sure. understand where I'm coming from. I, I grew up, I'm a, I'm a white guy in America today. And I grew okay. up. I grew up in a neighborhood that was Catholic, Black, and Jewish. That's where I grew up in North Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Right. I never even mm-hmm. gotten an argument with a Black person, a Jew. With the Catholics, we would argue once in a while, but that, that's because we were Catholic. You know, that's how that was. <laughs> but now that was Ray. That was fifty fifty five years ago. Okay. Everybody got okay. along. Do you think we'll ever understand that no matter what your skin color is, poor people are poor people and they need to be treated with respect? Don't you agree? Cool. Well, I, you know, I, 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 my sociological background will kick in now because I worked 20 years in, in social work. Okay. Um, you know, the, the things, <laughs> excuse me, that I talk about in my book about that I think are going to help us. Uh, is exposure to each other, what you're talking about. You just talked about that. Exposure to each other, living elbow to elbow. Mm -hmm. We survive elbow to elbow. We talk elbow to elbow. I think when we get there uh, and get through division, the greatest thing that has occurred in our nation 
to set us asunder, in my opinion, was the Civil War. Yeah. Because the Civil War enlightened and heightened those divisions. Now we're, we're not only doing it with argument, we're doing it with death. Right. And death is so pronounced, as you, all of us know, and that, that are speaking right now, we know that's a hard thing to get over. And we look at the Civil War, what is it, a hundred and something years ago, mm-hmm. we're still fighting our way out of it. We're still fighting our way out of it. And it's very hard for people to look at each other and see equality, which is what we should be seeing. I'm a Catholic school kid, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was Catholic University. I was Catholic. My mother let me go to the University of Portland because they were affiliated with Notre Dame. You know, that's <laughs> not Catholic. She was. There you go. The lady did Novenas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Novenas. So I, 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 Tom is the same neighborhood that you came from. And, and and I talk about that. We don't, you know, someone asked me the other day, they said, were you afraid of the Philadelphia police? And I had to stop and think, well, no, they no. were, they right. protected us. Yep. They protected us. I didn't, I didn't think of it. I wasn't raised that way. And so I didn't know anything about being anti-police until the 60s. And then I yep. recognized what <clears throat> the problems were. And now it's the 2020s. And we're still going through some of those same issues. Mm-hmm. So it's a profound sociological thing. But if we're looking for the cause, the cause, I think, was when we declared war against each other as a nation because of a division. And we've got to get over that. We've got to see each other as equals. If we begin yep. there, then we're talking elbow to elbow. And we're like the Catholics or a a black guy and a white guy having a difference of opinion. We can have a difference of opinion, but your opinion is just as equal as my opinion. And we haven't gotten there yet. Ray, let me give you an example. And that's that's where the battle is. I'm sorry. No, I'll give you a quick example of why I, I just feel the way I do and exactly what you're talking about. That way back in the 19, late 50s and the 1960s when I was growing up, not one of my black friends would call me my name. They all called me Tommy because they all said, I ain't calling anybody Tom. <laughs> I thought that was – see, now, Ray, that, would, that made me feel good. It made them feel good. Everybody felt good about it. My yeah. name was Tommy, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I love that. I absolutely lo- love that memory, Ray. I really do. Well, when you talk about names, I'm going to give you something, uh, just a little treat for you. When I was a kid, my nickname, my nickname, because I, ha- I had uh, small eyes, and somebody described me in a book, they said, well, Ray Scott had a big head and small eyes. <laughs> they called me Chink. There you go, Scott. If you go to anything, any historical thing you go, reference area you go to, back in the uh, 40s and 50s and 60s, yep. and some of the 70s, before you'll see Ray King Scott. Ray King Scott. Wow, and I had that's to amazing. people hmm. to not use that nomenclature anymore. It's just not, you know, I don't feel comfortable, not because of what you're saying. I'm not comfortable with it because of my Asian friends. Mm-hmm. And I want to be considerate yep. of them. I want to see them as equal and say, you know what? Uh, the same thing that the respect that I ask that you give me, I want to make sure that I give to you. And so that's, uh, you know, 
Tom or Tommy. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you call me whatever you want. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, but the reality of it is we have to get, reach inside of ourselves and see people as equals. That's just, that's just my firm belief. Do you think, Ray, we should start with all the poor people? They need it the most. I don't care if they're black people, they're brown people, they're white, whatever color they are. Poor people uh-huh. are poor people, and they need our help. Uh, I, I, I really wish, as far as, as people with very low incomes, people who don't, don't have any money, I wish we treat them all the same because they're people in yes. need. I think it's a great idea. Yes, but they use the systems yep. that support those people to bring them down. Correct. That's you say, exactly well, are right. You, are, you getting, are you getting help? Well, if you're getting help, you're less of a person than me because <laughs> I'm out on a job every day. I'm able to earn an income. What, what's wrong with you? You know, and so, you know, it's the, the old Ayn Rand thing of there will always be poor people. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, I, I don't think that that's true. Because you're talking poor in terms of economics, but we're poor in terms of spirit. We hurt our spirit. We hurt ourselves. And so, you know, people say, why do you have so much crime in your neighborhood? So, well, you have, because you have no hope. And we have to give each other hope and That's respect. Exactly. And, and I hate to say it, but it comes from the system. And we have to give each other love. It's what exactly what I'm talking about, Ray. You're the first person that, with what our Lord in heaven wants us to do. I love that. I really do. No, I said I love. I love what you just said. I agree with you 100. percent Now I've been talking to people about. I do also do a morning show in town. Matter of fact, I'd love to have you on the morning show as well. Okay. It's been on the air for 37 years, and I've been talking to people about oh, this. Man, you got. And they don't understand, right? When, when I try to tell them, poor people are poor people. Forget about skin color. Poor people, they all need yes. our help. Just would you help and let's That's move right. on from there. Right? That's right. I mean, I, I've seen so, I've read so many good books on that. I mean, there are people that have suggested that, uh, that we see each other equally. One of, one of the great writers of all time was Richard Wright. Mm-hmm. Another great one that I read was James Baldwin. And, I, yeah. and, and yep. my, one of my great, great guys was Ernest Hemingway. Mm-hmm. Ernest Hemingway had no problem seeing people with. He traveled the world, yep, and he wrote about that world, and he and he never ever wrote from a supremacist position. He always wrote from a position of equality. Mm-hmm. That's what made me enjoy his book so much as a as a kid growing up. And so when when you look at our society and you see people. You are supposed to say, as we were taught in Catholic school, we are supposed to say, how can I help make their lives better? And you know what? What I found out, that can also happen with wealthy people. You know, wealthy Mm -hmm. people a lot of times don't want to know because they're looking at themselves in terms of success. Right. But I say you should look at yourself in terms of a person. You know, and, and remember the old question that we grew up with in Catholic school, am I my brother's keeper? Right. That's you know, exactly we, we it. grew up with that. No. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you said Catholic, boy, we, I knew we were connected because we, <laughs> we all got those spots. You yeah, know? yep. No, he's absolutely right. Yeah. 
Ray, I need yeah. to just very quick. It's not really changing the subject, but I got to bring something up because you. I'm very jealous of you, Ray Scott. I will tell you that because you are very, very good friends with two of my all-time heroes in life. You're good friends with Muhammad Ali and Aretha Franklin. That's not fair, Ray. I should have been their friends too. Oh, <laughs> I, I tell you, the only the only guy <clears throat> the only guy that sits at that table and and he wrote the book too. Wrote a book too was Dave Bing. Oh yeah, because Dave yep. Bing met the same. We were in we Detroit, yep. but I came to Detroit, and, and I'll tell you guys a quick, just a quick story about Detroit. I was fly, I flew home for Christmas when I at the University of Portland in Oregon. I flew home for Christmas, and the coach said, let me come home. I'm flying back, and I'm on the plane with Herb Adderley. Herb Adderley is probably the greatest, one of the greatest athletes to ever come out of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. He's an all-time Ooh. great cornerback. For the uh, uh, Green Bay Packers, uh, uh, one of Lombardi's guys, hmm. and Herb and I are on the plane together, and he's coming back to Michigan State. He's going to Michigan State. The plane lands at Willow Run Airport in Detroit. I'm sitting on the plane, looking out the window at Herb Adderley. Now, this is the, because we were. This is in the '50s, before they had the walkways and all that stuff. You had to go down the steps and out into the weather. I'm watching Herb go down the steps into the snow that's up to his hips, and it's blowing his coat. And I look out the window as I'm headed back to Portland, Oregon, and I said, man, I would never come here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, close enough. And and God laughed. He said, this guy doesn't know. I've gotten gotten him slated to be a draft pick for the Detroit Pistons. God, isn't that amazing? <laughs> he's never going to go to you know, but that—that's how that your life changes. You—you you think you're in control, but your life changes. You, when your life changes, you—the only thing we do is adapt. And that's what I was saying. That we, if we could just get the people that are rich with wealth to adapt, adapt to how we're trying to live as a nation. And, and I think that they really can help us come together. I really do. I really do. Yeah, that, I, one thing that I, I am a little uncomfortable with, Ray, and this, this is just my personal opinion, I think a lot of the Hollywood people, the politicians, that type of people, are using our different skin colors to make themselves look good. And that does bother me, Ray. Mm. I will tell you that. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's part of, of being politicized. But yep. again, I, and I wanted to t- just talk about Aretha and oh, yes. and, and Muhammad Ali. They were, they were two of the greatest people I met coming through the system I, when I came to Detroit. I met Aretha in, uh, I met her actually in Indiana, in Indianapolis. And there was like one seat open uh, at, a, at a show that I went to to see it. There's one seat open. It was next, next to me. When they took their break, guess where she sat? Right Thanks next to you. me. Oh. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, you, you couldn't dream it up. <laughs> so she sits next to me, and we get into this small talk conversation, you know, about the, she's a Detroiter, I'm a Detroiter. She uh, was a great gospel singer. Oh, yeah. She loved gospel yep. music, and we had this incredible conversation, and that was great. I mean, I just, I just, I was enamored. And when I was traded from the Detroit Pistons to the Baltimore Bullets, I went to see Dave Bing took me to see uh, uh, Aretha Franklin. She was doing a hmm. show in town, and she said, I want to sing for my friend Ray Scott Aww. this song. 
you're going to hear from me. Nice. And I came back, and I was the coach of the year in Detroit, and I never forgot that. Mm. that Aretha Franklin had said, you guys are going to hear from me in Detroit again. And oh. the champ, Muhammad Ali, nobody like him ever. I met him no. in, uh, like, after he came back from the Olympics in 62, he was not the heavyweight champion of the world. I met him in Philadelphia, and we had, you know, good talk, basketball player, boxer, and he had his big bust, Muhammad Ali and all that stuff, uh, Cassius Clay. Cassius Clay. And so I, I remembered him, and I just, I, I, obviously, I couldn't forget him. And I meet him again, and he said, Ray Scott, I said, you remember me? Ooh. All the people that you meet in your life, and he said, yeah, man, you talk, can you can you get this jump ball? And he would show me how high he could jump and all that. <laughs> and he was just an oh, incredible guy. He's, he, I, I, I want you to get the book, to, re, to, to read those parts about Ali, because I shared a lot of time wow. with him. And I'm one, I'm one of the people that told him that he would have great difficulty with Joe Frazier. Okay. And, uh, and he did. He did. When I went to that mm-hmm. fight, in 1972, uh, 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 70, rather, it was, like, unbelievable. So w- which fight did you go to? That's what I told you. <laughs> I went to the first one. The, the first one. Square Garden wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was, he, I, I, told, I had told the champ, the guy fights from a lower plane, mm. and he's, he's shifting all the time. And any time a guy shifts, Ali knows a hook is coming. That's the punch that. Right. That's the one they call you don't see. That's what's coming, and that was Joe Frazier. And it, Joe did. Ex- I, I had. I wish I had taped it when I was with Ali down at the Fifth Street Gym uh, in in Miami. Because I had told the Virginia Squires, my teammates, I told them I knew him, and they said, "Yeah, you don't know Ali. He <laughs> don't know you." And I, and I went to the gym. I said, "Come on, go with me to see him train." And we walk. I walk into the gym. And Ali sees me. Uh, Angelo Dundee says, "Isn't that that basketball player?" You know. <laughs> and Ali looks around. And he says, "And Muhammad Ali knocks out Ray Scott." Hmm. Well, guys, was I a big hero in front of my teammates or what? Oh, I said, oh. "Oh man, this guy knows Ali." And and I stayed uh, close to him uh, until he moved to Berrien Springs in uh, in Michigan, and I wanted to go see him. Spencer and Haywood and I were supposed to go see him. And we didn't, and I regret it to this day. Hmm. I regret it to this day that I didn't get to see him. Uh, but he was, oh, man, you, you know, I, I could just regale you all night with stories about that guy. I could, and, that, wow, yeah. and the type of human being that he really, really, really was. Well, see, and I owe him, Ray, because I, I got into doing voiceover, you know, doing commercial voiceover and all that stuff. And the first time, uh-huh. I, the first time I ever got hired to do a voiceover, I was I was doing an impression of Muhammad Ali. That was my first job that I got hired to do was an impression of Muhammad Ali. Oh fun. man, that's so cool! It that was is fan- so cool. It was fantastic. Catholic school kid from, from Minnesota. Yep, that's exactly right. And oh I, my goodness, that I, is so cool. One of the greatest lines he ever had. Now I haven't done the voice in a long time, so it might not be that good anymore, but. But one of my favorite lines, he was on the uh, Dick, uh, Dick Cavett show just after he fought yeah. Ken Norton. And uh, Dick Cavett said to Muhammad Ali, he said, my goodness, I, that, that punch that he just threw that we just showed our viewers here, that punch he threw, I don't know what would happen if I'd have been hit like that. 
And Ali said, if you'd have been hit like that, your beneficiaries will still be collecting. <laughs> <laughs> One of the greatest lines in history. <laughs> oh, you'd be dead. That's where you'd be. <laughs> Isn't that yeah, wonderful? Be <laughs> you know, I, I, I went to, I, I saw all three at Aspen in New York I went to. And, you know, I, I always told Ali, you haven't beat Ken Norton yet. Oh. Yeah, Ken Norton. not beat Ken Norton yet. Yeah, Norton. Uh. Norton was a handful. And he just had the perfect style, but he was, he was a handful for Ali. And I could never believe it. Because Ali pulled it off against George Foreman. Yep. Yeah, you know, did. that he was such a great fighter that he figured out how to, uh, uh, I don't know, de-emphasize all that power. Because one thing we know Foreman was, he was a powerful man. Oh, God, yes. And and I just, oh, my, and, and you know, uh, just because uh, I'm, I'm doing a book on boxing now, and, and um, I'll, I'll get, get up to... Uh, talking about uh, Ken Norton and and uh, Ali but you know I, that's something again in my book I share that I was really a boxing aficionado from the time I was about five years old because my dad before he died Friday night fights the Gillette Cavalcade sure. of Sports sure. that yep. was our night that was our night so you know yeah boxing's another great love of mine and that's why I had such a passion uh, for following uh, uh, great, great fighters. But to me, Muhammad was the greatest of them all. Me too. Do you watch basketball now? Absolutely. I'm, are you kidding? I'm waiting with bated breath today. <laughs> for tonight. Game number five tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you? Do you yes. S- I mean, uh, go ahead. How do you think players? How do you think players of the past would play today? Players, if they were born today, they would play today. Yeah. Because they would still have that stature, that quickness, that speed. They would still have the talent. I think the difference is the games are are totally different from the games we played. When you think about the old NBA, the traditional NBA was what? Throw the ball in the Wilk, throw the ball (laughs) in the Russell, throw the ball in the Thurman, throw the ball in the Kareem, and let the big guys take care of it. The big guys are the closest to the basket. That's the best shot we're going to get. Today, the game is just the opposite. So that they bring in more fans, they took the worst shot in basketball. And all of us, all three of us that have played basketball, if we ever took a 25-foot shot, we'd be on the bench so quick. The coach, you know, the coach would be yelling at us, but he'd be yelling in our ear because we'd be sitting next to him. And that's the way... Uh, the game has changed. Guys are taking, they've taken the worst shot in basketball and made it just a showcase. And so when you watch a guy like Steph Curry, who was probably the greatest shooter I've ever seen, and I was a Jerry West guy. Hmm. I was a Jerry yeah. Oh, yeah. West guy yep. in terms of the greatest shooter I had ever seen. This kid, this, this Curry kid, is the best shooter I've ever seen anywhere, mm. anywhere in basketball. He's just amazing. He's amazing. But I think he's, I think he's going to be a little tired tonight, though, but we'll see. Do you think that uh, he's the best shooter because of what you're just describing, that, that there are guys that probably could have been 
great shooters that weren't allowed to shoot, or do you think it's just he's just the greatest shooter? That's a that's a good question. That's a good question uh, because when I think of guys like Brian Winters, who was a deep shooter, Travis Machine Gun Grant uh, from Kentucky, who was a great shooter. I you know that I don't you know because it depends on the systems. Mm-hmm. You know when you're drafted, you know you're drafted into a system, and so that's a that's a great question. I I think Curry benefits because the system that he's in with the Warriors was created for him. For him, yeah. Created for him. And then the other kid comes along, Clay Thompson, and he fits right into the system. So yeah, that's that's but that's a great question about the other players uh that played that were great shooters and had they that the great shooters had had systems just built for them instead of those systems being built for Kareem or Wilt, you know, or Nate Thurman or Dave Cowens or Willis Reed. You know, I, I, that, that's a great question. That's a great question. Last question I got for you, having played then versus now, would you like to have traveled the way they let them do it now? Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. These guys live like him the eighth. They all live like him the eighth. You know, I mean, they're first class, not even first class. They are upset if they're on a commercial flight. How about that? I guess I meant the traveling in the game, you know, with the Euro step and the extra steps they get to take. Oh, that, oh, that's, oh, God, don't bring me that track. That, that, that's an, that's an aberration. To me. You know, that's an aberration to an old timer like me. You have to make your move off your step. You don't get an extra step on your move. Mm-hmm. I mean, ah, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. The game has changed so much, but it's a made for television game. Yeah, it it's is. A, you yep. know, yep. It, it's made for TV. It's a, you know, you you don't want to see back doors and and fifteen foot jump shots off the of screens and double screens. They don't, it's too convoluted. It's too crowded. So they open that game up. I mean, enjoy. She loves basketball as it's played today. Why? Because ninety percent of the time, or whatever percentage of the time, it's either a dunk, a spectacular dunk. Or a long 25, 30-foot shot. Yeah. That keeps your attention. So, yes, it, it, the game has changed. But that game we played, no, it was, it was, it was different. But if you walked, as, the, as we call it then, and those are traveling, we call it, hey, you're walking with the ball, man. You <laughs> can't do that. Yeah. You can't. Well, I, the, the question I was wondering about the other day was, if you brought a ref from the 70s to a game now, would he die from blowing the whistle or from running? <laughs> well, no, he just retired. I love it. This is crazy. Yeah. Ray, we're going to have to book you a lot more, man. I love talking to you. And, and I'll tell you something. Oh, thank you. Ray, you you perfected a uh, tri, trifecta for me because I've I've interviewed George Foreman several times. I got to sit down face to face with Dr. J a couple of times, and now you completed the trifecta of three of the nicest oh, people I've ever met. You guys, all three of you, are very nice people. Thank you. I, I, well, I, I'm, I'm walking in some good tracks, some good tracks. Well, I, I, that makes me very proud. Thank you. 
Uh, Ray, I'm going to have somebody reach out to you because I'd love to get you on. It's, it's KQRS Radio in Minneapolis. I want to get you on that show because I think it'll be another great conversation. I am there, my friend. You call me, and you just let me know when you want me and where you want me, and I'll be there. We'll get it done. Mr. Scott, thank you so much for your time. Wonderful, wonderful talking to you. The NBA in black and white, the memoir of a trailblazing NBA player and coach. The pre-order is uh, coming out tomorrow, June 14th. You can go just over to Amazon. Ray Scott, you're a gentleman and a scholar. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you, Thank sir. you, my friends, and you guys be well. Great you talking too. to you. Bye. Take okay. a quick Take care. Bye-bye. Quick break. Be right back. Dan Chesky's here from Dan's Southside Marine. It won't be long now until we start seeing boats on the water. Warmer temps and open water are coming soon, Tom. We have inventory in stock now from Alumacraft, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou with more arriving daily. What's the secret to finding a boat you're looking for this year, Dan? My recommendation is to shop now, pick a model, put your name on it. Our team of pros at Dance Outside Marine will have the knowledge and experience to get the boat you want equipped the way you want it equipped. What about financing options? Right now, we are offering low-interest financing options up to 144 months with qualified credit. Ask for details when you visit the store. Alumacraft Fishing Boats, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou Pontoons, all powered by Suzuki Outboards, are in stock now with new boats arriving daily. Dan Southside Marine is located just six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington or shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. Tom here, and I'm talking with Brad Huckle and Mike Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked before about how working with a community bank like North American Banking Company can benefit business owners. Do you have an example you could share with our listeners? Our customers at Homeco Insulation and Blaine have been banking with a big bank for many years, but suddenly their calls weren't getting returned and their banker was unresponsive to their business needs. You can imagine their frustration. They had a successful business, wanted to expand, and their bank cut them off. They were ready to move on from their big bank. When they referred to us, we knew they wanted to work with a community bank that would be responsive and would take the time to understand their business and its needs. That sounds like a perfect fit. I know it can always reach out and not only talk to an actual person, but I'm talking to an experienced lender. They've told us the same thing, Tommy. Look, I know Brad and Mike and I trust them with my banking. My whole family does. So why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. Oh, Andy. So we only got, what, like eight minutes left here, right? Uh, yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, because he went all the way to the top. So I got to be honest with you, that interview, could you find a nicer guy than Ray Scott? No, he's very nice. It was incredible. He had incredible stories. I know. His stories were amazing. Got a great attitude. He understands a lot of pretty magnificent things. I mean, it, Ray Scott was part of the early uh, wave of black NBA players like Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, you go down the list. But Ray, he, he I thought that you asked him great questions. He gave you credit for that. I got to get him on the KQ morning. He was very interesting. Yeah. He really was. Well, I just his perspective and the people he's been around and 
his idea on yeah. you know what has changed and what's different and what's not different and even going back to you know his race answers about the Civil War. Yeah, you know. So and see that's the, and whoever wrote his bio. I don't know who wrote his bio, but it was a little harsh. Yeah, and very not, harsh. And he's not harsh at all. That's kind of what it might give people the wrong impression of him because he, he has his opinions and they're strong opinions. Oh, he's probably got a publicist that thinks that that'll yeah, if you get him Google more interviews. It, it's all over the place. So it's his, yeah, publicist wrote it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, there you go. I thought he was terrific, though. It was good that you were in because you're a huge NBA fan. Not huge, but I, I, I know a lot. Of, I've, I've read a lot about it. I've watched lots of games in my life. So, but I was that I did want to find out about that question because I do think if you brought an old ref today, you'd either die of blowing the whistle or run. Oh, god, yes, those old refs, they're so much faster now and they run so up and down. But at the same time, I I think we're like a year away from Adrian Peterson starting at guard for somebody. I wouldn't doubt it, just give him the ball, let him run it down the court. Yeah. That's about it. Well, I used to, like I said, I used to be a big Celtics fan, and and uh, you know, back in the Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, uh, you know, Robert Bird, uh, Robert Bird, not Robert Parrish, is yeah, right, not Robert the, Bird, because the Ku Klux Klan member, yeah, right, exactly, yes. big so, fan, Robert yeah. Parrish, I was yeah. talking about Robert there. Parrish, the big dope smoker. But then, uh, yeah, that's but he right. was huge dope smoker. Was he? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I tried, uh, I tried to, I. I tried to become a Timberwolves fan. I just never could. Wow, they—they're a challenge. They are a when challenge. When you look at things that they've done and decisions they've made, and yeah, they're—they're they're a challenge. Well, I, you know, I—I—I I, I was a little bit hesitant to talk to him about tonight's game because it's like, oh wait, uh, a guy, a white guy in Minnesota. Guess who he's cheering for? You know? <laughs> yeah, well, there is that. But, you know. I just grew up a Celtics fan. I didn't know what you know, so. Well, it was a great team to watch. Following the Celtics back in that era was, um, well, I suppose, off and on throughout history, following Celtics is always a good idea. Well, my grandfather had been a big fan during the years when they had the run with Russell. And he talked about during that time period that they used to uh, they used to throw games because they were winning so much people would just get bored with oh, watching. Oh, yeah. But my, one of my favorite memories of Celtics game was there was a game against Philadelphia uh, 76ers and uh, – they threw a, They ran a screen around Daryl Dawkins, and Larry Bird had his head friggin' demolished. I mean, they yeah. took his head off. Yeah. Dawkins turned that shoulder, got him in the chin, Ooh. knocked him off. My grandfather looks at it and told me, that will never happen to Larry Bird again. You watch. Oh, I bet. And yeah. it, it was yeah. like, you know, it was little things like that that stick in my memory about being taught by, you know, my grandfather. Because he knew a lot about sports, you know, and so... That was that, but that was like one of my favorite memories of all time of all the stuff, you yeah. know. So, by the way, know. I could tell by your laugh that you do remember that Dick Cavett show. Don't you? <laughs> oh yeah, I love when you tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> if he hit you that hard, your beneficiaries would still be collecting. Yep. Yep. That's a great answer. So <laughs> it is a great. You answer. never interviewed Muhammad Ali, right? I never interviewed. But you him, just said no. you interviewed Dr. J a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, he was in town. Matter of oh, fact, wow. he, he came so in did you KQ meet him face to face. Oh yeah, he, 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 nicest man on earth. How tall is he? He looks about six five, something like about that. About six five. That's about right. Okay. Isn't it? Andy, would you look up and see how tall Dr. J is or Julius Irving? I mean, or Dr. Could, J. He huh? could fly that guy. Oh God! It yes. was it was interesting. That's why I was interested in, in Ray's answers, Mr. Scott's answers about about um, the Flyers. He didn't name any 
recent flyers. All the four no, flyers right. were. All, that's why I wondered if yeah. you Jordan's asked me. Relatively like, new. Well, yeah, I, I mean, guess well, in my in my old man age. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, he was six seven. But six seven. So there you go. Six yeah. seven. How long? Short. How long has Jordan been out of basketball? Um, uh, when did Michael Jordan retire? That's a good question. Yeah. I still can't believe somebody killed his father. That well, yeah. just amazes uh, me. On a truck Let's stop see or... here. Two thousand three. Yeah. Wow. God, Nineteen years. Really? Yeah. Oh God. Catherine, I feel like your dad right now. Time is not on your side. He's the last basketball player I paid any attention to. Michael Jordan. Oh, was it really? I haven't cared since. Well, the problem that you have now is the players are nowhere near as friendly as they are. They're awful people. They're awful people. I don't know why. Not all of them, but most of them. Because they make too much money. They do. They have too much power, too much money. They make too much money, and everybody fawns all over them. Don't people say that LeBron James is a good guy? He's an awful person. Well, it depends on on which side you're on. A number of issues with him. Uh, He's very political. But LeBron can be one of the nicest guys in the world as far as playing with fans and, and getting attention for the league. You know, there's lots of things that he does good. He gives tons of money to, you know, poor kids to go to school. But well, that's good. The one the one thing I would throw out there from prior MBA was he had a lot of major drug addicts back in the day. Oh, I mean, yes. tons of them were oh, ruined yeah. by heroin or ruined by yeah. you know by you know number of number of drugs at well, that I'm point. Sure they've got so chronic pain a it's lot a of them and different world. Yeah. Yeah. So Well, did they always come up through College ranks, or were they back in the old days, or was it always a, a college-fed sport? Or was yeah, it like pretty a, much. Okay. I think so. Yeah, there's very few people have gone right from high school to the NBA, okay. but there were happen. there are a bunch of them that ran through systems with the ABA, right, and right. you know that that would come from you know I mean they they really were paid like a cracker and a piece of toast in the ABA for you know <laughs> they for years. Were, that's true. But it's funny he said those were his happiest days. I know he loved that he loved it. that. He and loved it's it. also interesting to hear him say you know I had money in my pocket. He had three hundred dollars, but it was like compared yeah. to having a dollar in his pocket. It's yeah. true. It was a lot. So, um, but. Uh, it, it, it is different today, but it's it's uh, it's an interesting game. They they uh, there's some incredible athletes right now. Oh God, there's no yeah. doubt about it. And when, and when you get guys like uh, Manute Bowl who could stand flat-footed and dunk a basketball, I mean, Jesus. He, he used to come into the sandwich shop I was in in Rhode oh, Island. Oh really? For the Rhode Island Gulls. Oh God. And he was huge. Seven. And, what was he seven he was, four or something like that? No, well, yeah, I think it was. I, th- I think it was seven four or seven two. Jeez. Yeah, somewhere in there. And he, Jesus, he, he would go around in this issues. little duster <laughs> and probably had heart issues. It, if I in this guess. little duster that they had to take out the front seat, and he would sit in the back seat. So he would sit in the back seat <laughs> and drive you know, there. Yeah. But he'd come in and tell us about killing a lion. I killed a lion. <laughs> you know? But he could literally stand flat-footed and reach up and dunk a basketball. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. tall. Well, his kidneys failed at 47. Yeah. So. Oh. Did that's he die? A <clears throat> long time ago. Yeah. I didn't know Bull died 12 that 12 years ago. ago. Really? Yeah. That's not I mean, long ago. Jordan was almost yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hardly anything. <laughs> when you're seven foot something, yeah, you don't you live long. Don't no, live you don't. Your organs just can't handle all that mass. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, we better take a break. That was one hell of a first date. So one thing that's great about that is Andy and I sat down and read the bio and went, oh, my God, this could be really rough. Mm-hmm. But it was because of the way the bio was written. Ray Scott could not have been a better guest. He was phenomenal. He was really good. Wonderful. Terrific guest. Thank you again to Ray Scott. i got to reach out and get him on the morning show. He'd be great, great on oh, the yeah. morning show. Oh. No doubt about it. We'll take a break. Right back with that second hour. Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the Walzer world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finish number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J.Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the motor sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Hey, this is Brian Zepp. Summer is finally here, and if you're like me, you've got some serious riding planned. Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, metric cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at Dennis Kirk. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets, too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. It's Michael Bryant playing his get box. He's got his acoustic guitar with him today. When I'm not playing the bongos. When you're not playing the bongos like Marlon Brando. Sitting around <laughs> in the nude playing the bongos. Speaking of that, by the way, I watched episode 7 last night because Catherine has not been feeling all that great. I uh, watched episode 7 of The Offer last night. I thought it was terrific. Is, se- is 7 the late? No, they got 8s out. 8s out now, eight. yeah. I, I didn't like 7 as much. I That's thought, what I heard. I yeah. thought 7 was a transitional one. and But there's a couple things in 7 that really are cool when you look at it. Oh, I mean, yeah. Um, I agree. And and it's been out for, for two weeks, so we can talk about it. I think we're we're beyond the point of spoilers as far right. as it goes. You should watch this series, but especially if you like The Godfather. But no doubt. It, to watch... The way the director went through the process with with um, um, with uh, uh, what's his name, 
uh, who sleeps, sleeps with the fishes. Um, uh, why am I forgetting? Um, who sleeps with the fishes? Oh, you're talking about Lou Ferrigno? Yeah, Lou Ferrigno, but he plays the guy who Luca plays Brazzi. Luca Brasi. The way he he dealt with the issue that he didn't know his lines, I know. that was really cool. It was really like, the good. The way he built that in, that was yep. just really, that it is amazing. Now, eight is incredible. That's what I hear. <laughs> There's some things at eight that are so good. That's what I hear. Especially if you know The Godfather. They're so good that that eight is like, eight blows so much of it away. This is this is very good series. We and, have our guest on the oh. phone. Okay, we'll close very quickly with the fact that that uh, <clears throat> all of a sudden they're at the old uh, Columbus Circle. Yep. And I said, uh-oh. Ken goes, what? I said, uh-oh. That's all I have to say to you. And, of course, Joe Colombo gets shot mm-hmm. but didn't die for seven. People don't realize he didn't die for seven years. Yeah. He lived till like, 1970, like, May of Yeah, when you see his face mushed up against the podium, you I think, know. that guy looks gone to me. <laughs> he looks dead, man. But he, yeah, he lived another seven years after that. Yeah. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. Gene Rice, I've never been shot. I hope you haven't either. Yep, that's like in the offer. No, I haven't. Thank God. You've never been. I gotta watch that show, Tom. Oh, it's a great show. (laughs) Oh, Gene, I'm telling you, honest to God, it's called The Offer. It is one of the best streaming or any shows I've ever seen. It's phenomenal. Mm. No, (laughs) I'm gonna watch guys. I'm gonna start. All right, sounds great. My kind of show. Oh, I think it's everybody's kind. Of, wait a minute now, Michael. Michael Bryan, who's here, just gave me the. Uh, you don't the think it's one of, of all time? I said it's one of the greatest. Oh, one of. of all time. Okay, I'll give you the one of. Well, what would be but the greatest of all time? The greatest TV show of all time for me is Mad Men. Mad Men's pretty good. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. Except yeah. I didn't hang myself yeah. at the end of it. Didn't yeah. that one guy hang himself? One of the guys did early. I thought he did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was that earlier? No, it's it's. It, I don't think it's near the end, or it might be the last season. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. I have to, Michael and Tom. I disagree, man. I would go with The Sopranos. Oh the yeah, mm-hmm. yep. yeah, pretty phenomenal. That is very good, and that stands up. There's no question about that. Oh yeah, no question. Mm-hmm. My favorite line of yeah. all time in The Sopranos, Gene Rice, is when he's got the uh, the Yiddish, uh, he's got <laughs> <laughs> the full dressed, old fashioned Yiddish guy up against the wall. And he goes, listen, he is ZZ Top. <laughs> I thought it was the greatest line of all time. <laughs> and you, you know my favorite line in that, Polly Walnuts, when he walks into oh, yeah. the, ho- the, the hospital shop? room. No, he walks oh, into the, the hospital, hospital room, room. Okay. with Tony laying in the bed. He's like, yo, Marone, you look horrible. You look horrible. <laughs> Thank you, hey, Marone. Uh, yeah, he, honest to God, what a great show that is, no doubt about it. See, now, all, oh, we, all we do is talk yeah. about positive things. Gene Rice with us, ladies and gentlemen. Grad to grown up, 68 tips to excel in your personal life, professional life. My, I got one extra tip you can throw in there if it's not in there, Gene. Stay away from people. Yeah, give it to me. Stay away from people. Stay <laughs> Anybody in management, stay the hell away from them because nothing good can happen. What do you think? Well, listen, you know, one of the 68 tips is learning how to manage your manager. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Wonderful, Gene. (laughs) That's one of the things you have to learn, Tom, you know? That's great. Hey, let me just share, before we get to talk about the book, Grad the Grown Up, I want to share something with both of you, because I know you're in uh, Minneapolis. Yes, sir. I was in the executive search industry, as you know, for 30 years and built one of the biggest firms. But I used to have a number of clients out of the Minnesota, Minneapolis area. And we were moving executives in there. And I tell people all the time, 
that if people don't know Minnesota and Minneapolis, it was very hard to get an executive to move there. Oh, yeah. But it was, it was even harder, Tom and Michael, if someone was in Minnesota and from Minnesota, they didn't want to leave. There was yeah. a sense of community. There was a culture there that people loved that area. And if we could find somebody in doing a search that had gone to school there or originally was from Minneapolis, they would go back in a heartbeat. So I want to compliment you. I know you guys have uh, a great thing going on up there. It's Tom being on the air all these years. They all want to come back and listen to you. That's it. 51 years they've been coming back to listen to me. Yeah, the only problem, Gene, up here, and I'm going to be flat out, I was born here. I, I grew up here. Yeah. I've lived in New York City, lived in other places, loved it. Uh, spent a lot of time in Chicago and far away as Jacksonville, Florida. The only thing I do not like about Minnesota, and I've never liked it, and where I grew up, Gene, in the inner city, it wasn't like that. So once I left my own neighborhood and got out into the real world of Minnesota, the passive aggressiveness in this state is way out of control. And okay. I, I'm, I don't yeah. know if you've ever or even heard of that. Most people probably haven't. But I have never been to a place. And, look, I love Minnesota. Half the people here are the greatest people in the world, and I do love it. That's why I still live here. But about half the people, man, you better watch your back if you're doing business with them. That's all I'm saying. Because they'll well, smile in your face and stab well. you right in the back. Ah, uh, sorry to hear that. It's true sorry story. to hear that. It's true. You know? <laughs> yeah. Crazy, crazy. And I'm such an even keel guy. Why would they go after me? I'm, uh, I'm about as level as they come. You know, <laughs> that part's not true. Then anyway, moving forward. <laughs> you sound very level to me, Tom. Right? Oh yeah, I bet. I bet. I. Where are you from originally, Gene? I'm originally from Long Island, but I've lived for the last 25 plus years in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Oh, so sure. about Beautiful. 30 minutes outside of Philly. Yeah, New Hope, the New Hope area. I yep. don't know if you know that area. Yes, sir. Washington, Yeah, so, yeah, we we like it here, but I can't get rid of my Long Island accent, they tell me, even <laughs> after 25 years. Gene, you do not want to get rid of that accent. It's a great accent. <laughs> Thank you. No one's ever told me that before. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Although, does that make you a Yankee fan? Oh. No, Ooh, let me. I grew up a Met fan. Oh, I grew up a Met okay. fan. New York Met. Okay, you're good. Right. Although uh, the the World Series in eighty in oh what year? Why am I blanking the year? Eighty six. Yeah. So. Oh, eighty six was that Boston and New Boston York. Boston and the Mets. Yeah. And Boston and the Mets. I yeah. remember that the year before the Twins won their first World Series. Yeah. Gene Rice. Well, I go back to sixty nine. Right? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Miracle Mets. Everything you didn't yep. learn in school, but all sure. you need to know to launch your personal and professional life. This ought to be interesting, Gene, because I, I literally, from the time I was 14 years old, I knew what I was going to do for a living. I wanted to get into radio, and I do a, I've been doing the same morning show in this town for 37 years, and uh, it's been a hell of a deal. So I, I got very lucky, Gene. I knew what I wanted to do from the time I was 14 years old. Yeah. And let me tell you something, you know, Tom. And you are one of the lucky ones, right? Because yeah, oh, yeah. I believe, and it's one of the things. This is one of the things the book, the book goes into. I believe one of the goals of life for every human being should be to find something that you are, that you love doing, that you're passionate about, and then doing it well enough that you can, you, you can make a living doing it. Because my experience has been, I also found that in the executive search, I had purpose. If you can find something like that, something you love. 
and then you can figure out a way to make a living doing it. You don't yep. wake up in the morning going to work. You wake up in the morning going to something you absolutely enjoy. Your personal health is better. Your, you know, your, your relationships are better. The glass isn't half full. It can be overflowing. And one of the things grad the grown-up goes into so I think a lot of young adults, especially, they have things they're passionate about, but they have no idea on how to get a job doing it. Right. So we take them through a roadmap. We give them from step from A to Z how to, first of all, identify that passion, how to make sure it's real, right? Then how to go out and get interviews, and then how to win the interview once you find it. So that's one of the things I think is really, really important because you, you, you see it yourself. You wake up in the morning, you go to something you love. Mm-hmm. You're laughing, you're feeling good, and it makes such a difference in your life. So you and I are on the same page with that. No, there's no question about it. I, I just it's been a it's been a hell of a lot better than working for a living, Gene, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Uh, listen, I started off, you know, my first career back in New York, Tom, is I owned I owned rock and roll clubs, right? What rock you and roll and, clubs. Uh, it, I would only book. We we had a we came up with an original idea in Long Island. We only booked original bands. So you know, to play the club, all you had to do was play your own music. And we had bands like the Ramones and Joan oh, Jett, right. and Law for the Straight Cats, all came through. I had a lot of fun, but then I got engaged, and my wife convinced me I had to get a real job. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's uh, but I. Yeah, but it's 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 having purpose in your life. You know, like I, I think I shared with you, there was a recent survey done, I think by the conference board, and they interviewed a number of executives, two thousand executives, and fifty one of these executives said they had no job satisfaction, so they were waking up and, and going to work for a paycheck. You know, think how sad that is, right? That's a tough road to hoe. Yep. And, you know, and like you know. I see with these young, I would bring in four college interns every summer into my company for eight weeks. And I felt that if I was going to, you know, bring them in for eight weeks, I would spend a couple hours with them every week. And it started off as Gene's life lessons, things I wish I knew going into my senior year in college. And all these questions came about, right? And one of the things that was sad is when you would grab a young person and talk to them one-on-one, I would say, why are you going into law? Why do you want to be an engineer? Why do you want to be an accountant? And the answer, the overwhelming answer you would get is someone influential in their life, whether it was a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, kind of pointed them in that direction. And the sad thing was, I can't tell you how many of them went out, graduated with college loans, did the job, and came back to me two years later and hated it. And I'll give you an example, and one, this is one of the things we talk about in Grad to Grown Up. I had two young, two young gentlemen who went to law school, two of the best law schools in the U.S. One went to NYU and one went to Boston College, right? Mm. They both graduated in the top 25% of their class. They went to work at two you know, big law firms. And within two years, both of them absolutely hated what they were doing, right? <laughs> yeah, My daughter... My daughter, who I wrote the book with, she went to Lehigh University. She was an economics and English major. And at Lehigh, if you had a 3.75 GPA or higher, right, they paid for your master's. And she stayed and they paid for her master's degree. She thought she wanted to be a lawyer. 
she says to me, I want to I want to be a lawyer. I said, listen, before before you do that, let's see if we can find a small boutique law firm and you'll offer to go in to work for free this summer so you can get some experience oh. about around what being a lawyer is all about. She reached out, she found this small firm, this partner took her in, and he exposed her to everything involved with being a lawyer. The research aspect of it, the administrative, he took her into the courtroom five or six times that summer. And at the end of it, Michael and Tom, she came to me and says, I have no desire to be a lawyer anymore. I said, thank God, because I was going to pay for part of that law school. But she she always wanted to be a teacher. But she thought that was under her, like it, mm. she wasn't aiming high enough. And I said to her, you know, the whole thing with Mark Twain, you know, two most important days, the day you're born and the day you realize why you were born. And she loves being a high school English teacher. And I was recently, I had an opportunity to go into a Wawa to get a sandwich with her in the town that she taught in. And there was three of her ex-students working at this Wawa. And seeing how they responded to her and how happy they were to see her made, you know, made me feel you're doing exactly what you should be doing. And this book goes into detail about that, you know, and understanding your passions and, and not giving them up, you know. So there's a lot here, a lot that can help, I hope. Just to let people know who maybe not uh, spend a lot of time out east, Wawa is pretty much like Speedway would be yep. in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time at the yeah. Wawa on yeah. Bel- Belvedere and West Palm Beach, as a matter of fact. They were, I was yeah. confused about the barbecued billboards. Yeah. It's like, that sounds like a good place, and you find out it's a gas station. It's like, <laughs> the hell? Hey, Tom and Michael, I got to tell you about an email I got yesterday from a young gentleman who just read the book. I thought you might appreciate it, right? So th- th- there's a chapter in the book talk to the oldest person in the room, right? And this young man sends me an email, and he says to me, I just finished working. He was at a New York City, a 14-hour day, and I went to get a bite to eat by myself. And I just read your book, and I finished eating. I looked up, and at the bar was this older gentleman drinking a beer by himself. So I said, you know, let me see if that that, that tip really works. Because in the book, talk to the oldest person in the room, it, it, it it talks about how much information, how much value you can get out of it. But I think a lot of young adults don't know the questions to ask. So he said, I went, I sat next to the guy after dinner, ordered the beer, and started asking him some of these questions from the book. And he goes, I'm reaching out to you just to tell you, two and a half hours later I left. It's one of the best nights of my life. Wow. He goes, the, the gentleman was a retired senior writer from the Johnny Carson show. And the stories he told me, he goes, I, I was laughing all the way home. So... There's a whole bunch of different things around that that people can get from it, you know? Yeah, and uh, and that's how things should be. I love the, the way you just laid that whole deal. Oh, by the way, I need to mention something to Eugene because you, you made a statement, and I had just been talking to a friend about this, that uh, in 1980, God, what was it, 1980, I believe it was, uh, I moved from Minneapolis to New York City, lived in Manhattan, just did voiceover with... Uh, uh, Don Buckwald was my agent, and I, I flew out there to live in New mm. York City and all the rest of it. Now, remember, I grew up in the inner city, so I didn't grow up in, you know, in, I guess, Minnesota Central. So I fly into LaGuardia. I get in a taxi, 
and we're headed through the Midtown Tunnel, and we get out of the Midtown Tunnel, and I look at the, you know, the medallion on the on the dashboard shows the driver's name and his license to drive a taxi, right? And his name was like Santino something. I don't remember his last name, but his name was Santino. But this will show you what you're talking about, getting rid of the accent or just loving where you're from or whatever. So I look and I see his name. I go, hey, Santino, so you having a good day? And there was a long pause, and he goes, familiarity breeds contempt. (laughs) (laughs) Familiarity, not familiarity. Familiarity breeds contempt. So don't forget that, Gene. (laughs) I won't. I won't. I won't. I think it's wonderful. Oh, God, you must be a popular guy, Gene, because now Doug Sprinthal, that guy's usually on Thursday. He just walked in the room. Now he wants to hop on. You got some time to spend with us? Sure. Oh, phenomenal. Absolutely. Uh, yep, Doug Sprinthal's putting his headphones on right. What's that say on your hat? Fuse? Yeah. What's that? It's a software company that sends me. Things he's been working on forever. Well, that's the deal? Yeah. I get it. Now, Gene, I should I, I should introduce you to Doug Sprinthal. Doug has been on uh, on my morning show now for what ten, twelve years as Michael Bryant. Since has. right after the Model T came out. Model T came out, Gene, and they all hopped on the show. But not so. What's great about this? My son is the engineer. Andy is here, and then you got Mike and you got okay. Doug, and they're both big clients, but they've become really, really good friends as well. So, you know, it, it's how life is supposed. I know I should be going, oh, this sucks, that sucks, life sucks. No, but I, I'm sorry, Gene. I have a great life, and I'm not going to piss and moan about it. You know what I mean? And and that's one of the goals. That's one yeah. of the goals, my friend. I'm happy for you. All right? I'm happy. Well, thank you very you much. Know, Gene? I did yeah. Oh, you, you were going to say Go something. Ahead. I'm sorry. My fault. I was going to say, like, my company, I brought my son, my daughter, and my son-in-law in. You know what? If you can bring family around you and people you love, yep, that's that's even better, right? It's even better. Uh, don't don't say that I love Mike and Doug though. Would you please not say that again? I was a little touchy. <laughs> 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 well, you're very fond of them. You're, yes, I'm very fond, very of, fond of both of them. them. That's exactly right. So, Dougie, sir, we're talking about everything you didn't learn in school, but you all you need to know to launch your personal and professional life. Gene Rice, our very special guest, grad to grown up, 68 tips to excel in your personal and professional life. Where Wait. were you in 1982? You in <laughs> so I was a liberal arts oh graduate God. and not at all prepared for the business world. This sounds like it. it's just you should have written it 40 years earlier, I think. Yeah, there you go. I. Yep, absolutely. I just, I've heard that from a lot of people. A lot of people have read and said, I wish I had had this when I came out of college. There's a lot of stuff in there for everybody, though, because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going over all the mistakes I made in my life that maybe might help some other people and might help them avoid some of the potholes in life, you know? And that's, you know, that's the key. And then I think if the average person would understand, although, Gene, i got to ask you a question because... Um, yeah. The latest data that's come out, the statements made by people in the Andy, what's the one after you again? The the generation generation. Well, that would be Z. Z. That's yeah. Generation Z. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have no idea. They they've graduated college, some of them now, and they have no idea what they want to do with their life. They have no uh, understanding at all that they may someday have a job. Uh, do you know anything about that? Why the younger generation now just doesn't see much of a future for themselves? It's kind of scary, actually. Yeah, it it really is. And and the thing is even scarier. They all have these college loans. Oh, that, oh yeah. 
you know, $1.6 trillion, right? I mean, and, you know, the funny thing is I would ask these, these college interns of mine, you know, they all know how much money they borrowed. They all know when they have to start paying it back six months after graduation. But none of them could tell me what the monthly bill was going to be, right. right? Because they don't figure that out until they stop borrowing, right? So I just think there's a lot of there's a lot of young people out there that they don't like the colleges. One of the things they're not doing. I'm a big believer in internships, even if it's free. Go do get get exposure, yeah. do things, yeah. right? You know, and and see if there's something that. That, that really sticks, something that you can really get excited about. The other issue I got to tell you, with, you know, with this generation is unlike us, right? They, they get the job and they don't know how to show up. Like I used to sit and talk to them and I'd say to them, you know, there is no elevator to success. You got to take the stairs. Do you know what that means? You know, <laughs> meaning let's say you're one of the lucky ones who get hired at a big company well, I want you to know you're getting hired and 19 other college graduates just like you got hired. And then you fast forward 10 years, two of that 20 will emerge and go into management. What are they doing different than the other 18? And just trying to explain to them and make them be prepared for how they have to show up, how they have to you know, initiate mentorships, build relationships internally. Those are the things that, you know, that that I try to share with them that I think they really need. Now, Gene, let's say you're a guy, uh, maybe you're living in Minnesota, and he either, you know, you're kind of an okay lawyer or an okay car salesman. What should you do? <laughs> they both gave me well, a dirty look. Well, if you're not look. happy, a dirty look. yeah, if you're not happy, then you should find something that would make you happy, and you should do everything in your power to try to get a job doing it. And let me just tell you a story about that might help you guys. And I think a lot of people don't realize just how much help is out there. Okay. You know, my wife and I started the charity and the charity, just so you know, you know, it's plant a seed, inspire a dream. We've helped over 800 kids pursue their passions. These are young, you know, young adults coming from families that are financially challenged. Mm. Well, another charity that helps foster kids to get into college and who never knew their parents, and then once they graduate, if they're having a hard time getting a first job, they'll reach out to some of the you know business leaders in the community for help. And I had this charity reach out to me, and he said, we got this great young man coming out of Temple. He's really struggling. He can't find that job. Would you talk to him? I said, yeah, I'll talk to him. So the first question I asked this young man is, what was your major? He says, sports management. I said, sports management. Said, okay, so here... I'm thinking there's very few jobs in sports management, right. and usually coming out of college, the ones who get that job usually know someone. There's a hook that brings them in. So I said to him, what have you done so far? He goes, well, I sent my resume to the Philadelphia Eagles, the Phillies, the 76ers, and the Flyers. And I said, so what's happened? He goes, no one's gotten back to me. I'm like, well, let me tell you rule number one, all right? If any of those franchises are looking for someone with absolutely no experience, they're going to reach out to you and the other thousand people with no experience that sent that resume. Right. I said, you're never going to break in that way. I said, I will help you, and I will we'll go on this journey together, but i got to ask you two questions first. How passionate are you about this sports management? Because if we get lucky, and we probably won't, but if we get lucky, 
you'll probably end up working for a single-A baseball yep. team in Des Moines, Iowa. Are you ready yeah. to pick up and move yeah. to Des Moines, Iowa? He goes, I'll go anywhere. I said, okay. Second question. If we strike out, which we probably will, what's plan B? What are you willing to do? He goes, well, I'd, I'd go into sales. I said, great. There's a lot more sales jobs than sports management jobs. And I took him through, and this, in the book, Grad the Grown-Up, it explains for people how to do this. I said, I want you to identify every C-level executive from those franchises. We're going to start in 100 miles of Philly, and then we're going to expand every 300 miles. And I'll tell you, you know, Tom and Michael, you know, myself, because I got on these top executive recruiter list, right, I would get every single week sent to me between 80 and 120 resumes. When I tell you, I couldn't help one of them probably because the way the executive retained industry works, you specialize in a vertical market. You become the best top recruiter in this. We did management consulting and we did the ed tech vertical. So you could be a CEO from the top, you know, the top consumer products company, but I couldn't help you. But twice a year on average, I would get an email from a young person saying, I am graduating from so-and-so, I'm passionate about the human resources or executive search industry, I've done some research, I know you're a thought leader, would you spend a few minutes and give me some guidance? I always return those calls. I felt, and I know most senior executives would too. So with this young man, I had him write an email, I helped him write an email, he did the research and he identified every C-level executive from those franchises. I said, we're going to start with you know, the major league, then we'll go to triple A and double A, and then we strike out, we'll go 300 miles. He sends it out to the same Phillies, Eagles, Flyers, and 76s. He gets a response back from the chief marketing officer of the Philadelphia 76s saying, I'll talk to you on Friday. So I helped prepare him for that call because you have to go in with a plan, and the book goes into this. I said, call me when it's over. He calls me about an hour later. I said, how did it go? He goes, I think I went pretty well. I said, why do you feel that way? He said, well, he's invited me in to meet four people on Tuesday. I said, what? Four people on Tuesday? That means there's a job there. He's not going to waste four people's time. Well, I helped prepare him for the interviews. And the end of the story is he ended up getting hired by the Philadelphia 76ers in their corporate sales department. And the message I'm sending for your audience, I want young adults or even senior people, if you reach out and you reach out the right way, people will help. People will give you some guidance. And if you don't get, you know, maybe you won't be invited in for an interview, but maybe they can guide you in some direction to help you get that job that you're passionate about. So thanks for letting me share that. You know, I, I too, recently have started to do some hiring again, and I can uh, give listeners a tip that might be going through this process. Please use a professional email address. I can't tell you how many email or uh, resumes I get that it's like, uh, Foxy Girl at yeah. AOL yeah, or Big Butt Daddy 66. It's like, come on. Yeah. Well, well, what kind of job are you hiring for? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. It's a shoe show where yeah. the girls only wear shoes. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. There you go. <laughs> Great line, Gene. I like then, that. So, listen, listen, here's the other thing. So many of them don't know how to put a professional resume together. You know, like, the resume has one goal and one goal only, to get you the interview. Right. Yep. If it stops you from getting the interview, then you got to fix it. You know, and they don't know. In the book, there's a whole tip on how you put a professional resume together.
you know. So, and there's no and there's no foxy lady uh, email. Yeah, right. <laughs> do, do you you know what I'm saying though? Don't you? You get those, I bet. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. That's you know. And, <laughs> it's crazy. You know. That, but that is amazing. Listen, that's one of the things I really talk about, and I really believe, right? You want to become, you know, in sports, it's called a Hall of Famer, right? Right. In the Olympics, it's called a gold medal winner. And, you know, in science, it's called a Nobel Prize winner. I think another goal that every human being should have is becoming a grand master of interview. Now, why is that so important? When you finally find that job you really want, you're probably going to be interviewing against four or five other people. Right. The grand master is the one who gets offered the job and whose compensation can be higher. They come out of school, they don't know how to interview. It's a skill. It's a really important skill. It can determine your career and what direction it goes. There's a professional way to do it. And in the book, we actually walk them through, step all the way, from the beginning to the end, how you have to handle that. You know, I can't tell you how many people have come out of interviews and I said, okay, how did it go? It went great. Did you have any concerns? Oh, I thought it was going so well, I didn't feel I had to ask that question. Then I would go back and talk to the client, and they'd say, yeah, there would be a couple of minor concerns. If they had asked it, we would have addressed it. And there's a whole way on how you have to professionally ask that. Because in every interview, my experience has been the person doing the interviewing will always have some sort of concerns about the person they're interviewing. Sometimes the concern is the person's overqualified. Sometimes it's underqualified. As an executive search professional, the only time I got concerned is when there was no concerns because they were really the buying signals. That's, that, you know, that's an accepted fact. What's not acceptable is you to take the time to go on an interview and leave and not even ask the question, did you have any concerns, and, and give yourself a chance to address it if it's false or minimize it and maximize your strength if it's real. So we take them through that in the book, Grad, to growing up and help them with that. Grad to Grown Up, 68 Tips to Excel in Your Personal and Professional Life. Gene Rice, you can check him out at ricecohen.com. Rice Cohen, just one word, of course. Gene, you need to you pop back once in a while. I'd love to talk to you about how it's going with people getting jobs, people hiring. Is it getting better, getting worse? Because after the COVID thing for a couple of years, it's got to be a little different, right? It's very different. It's very different. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, things are changing right now. I mean, you, you go back six months ago. There was three jobs for every one person interviewing. Right. Things are changing right now. Yeah, you know, yeah. companies are laying people off, and it's going to be a different marketplace. So if I can help in any way, Tom, you just let me know. And, guys, I really appreciate time. And uh, like I said, gradtogrownup.com. It's a great graduation gift or a Father's Day gift. And uh, they can find me on LinkedIn job, if I can yeah. help in any way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Michael just made a good point. Get a job, Dad. <laughs> I love that. That works for me. Just don't forget, Gene, before the next time I talk to you, don't forget, familiarity breeds contempt. Don't forget that. Listen, listen, I'll tell you one other thing. You know, profanity is the weapon of the witless, right? <laughs> I love it. Gene, thanks for your time. We'll talk soon. You take care. Bye-bye now. Bye. Gene Rice, ladies and gentlemen, ricecohen.com. We'll take a quick break. Be right back. Dougie Sprinthal in studio. Michael Bryant here, of course, like every Monday. This ought to be an interesting segment coming up next. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. 
It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. And we are back with Stretch's Picks. You know, Tom, uh, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these picks. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend betting, of course. I always recommend betting. Yeah, absolutely. So who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears, or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. I know, but it's a hell of an HVAC company. They do the most thorough system tune-up in the industry. Saber is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Saber, Saber and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. It's also the smartest time to call and schedule your furnace tune-up with Saber. Get the most thorough tune-up in the industry from the people who keep my home comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SaberHeating.com. Tom here for Continuum Weight and Well-Being. If you were like me and constantly finding yourself in weight loss mode, I have great news. Continuum is here. It's new and they're doing it differently. There are no meal replacements or foods you're required to purchase. They specialize in customizing meal plans for you using all whole nutritious foods. They don't just focus on weight loss. They are upfront with their pricing. And most importantly, Continuum is designed for long-term success. Schedule a free consultation. Find out more today. Simply go to their website, Continuum Weight weightwellbeing.com or call or text them at 952-491-6527 and catch the Continuum team on my podcast on Thursdays, 11.15 a.m. I've learned so much from them, and I know you will too. Continuum Weight and Wellbeing Life Beyond Weight Loss Mode. Do-do-do. We're rocking out, man. And Very. I did a live commercial for you. Yeah, nice. Yeah, we did a live commercial for you. Sweet. Yeah, yeah come by the new Nissan something. Yes, the I'm new sure Nissan that's something. I'm going to go right to the way. I didn't, he, he was better. It was that's good. nice. I'm just teasing that's my friend nice. Mike. He and his son were nice enough to patronize the house of J-Lo. And I'm like, yeah, what did he get? Mike goes, well, that was a Nissan. It's like, mm, okay. Something. There's a few of those. Excellent. Although, I don't know what my car is. It is a Maxima. It's an Altima. It's an Altima. You have an Altima. He, it's SL, the same as all he's wheel got. Drive. It's a, not a SL. It's okay. A, it's a sport package. Oh, cool. That is. Yeah. All wheel drive or a front? Uh, they showed us an all wheel drive, but it was red, and David didn't want a red, and I'm glad he didn't want the red. I wasn't pushing him, but he said he didn't want it, so we went with the white that had the, that didn't have the all wheel drive. Oh, cool. But it was front wheel drive. So I love my car. I tell you. You and David could get together and race Altimas. Mm -hmm. Yes, we could. We could race Altimas. That would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of people didn't. When I got rid of the Mafia car, they thought I wouldn't be too happy with whatever I got. But, no, it's a very comfortable car. It's due for service. J-Lo's picking it up tomorrow. I heard about that. Already? Didn't you just get it? 
Yeah, yeah but you put about six billion that's miles. That's true. On, I, so. did. I sure did. <laughs> so, Where did you go? It was last oh, fall, oh, was it? It was like August or yeah, September you uh, got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's like over thirty miles. Yeah. Yeah. So Andy put it like sixty 60, miles a day. Yeah. Six thousand miles on my car. Thanks for that. Probably is running on oil too. Thanks a lot, Andy. I look. I get in my car. and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Where did he go? It's burning testing, is what it's called. That's right. Oh, is that what it is? Yep. Okay. I was wondering. It's, it's tested sure. now. I wanted to make sure that that was the case. So, in any case, what else is happening? I was in Boston last week, big dealer group, and they took us out to uh, an Italian restaurant in, God, I can't remember, Norwood, Massachusetts, or maybe somewhere around there. Is that up north? Sub- no, it's suburban Boston, southeast, oh, southeast. of the cities, okay. yeah, kind of on the way to Providence. And the father of the automotive company, a guy named Dan, 68 or 69, Best friends with the owner of the Italian restaurant, and this guy is straight out of Central Casting. It's not, it wasn't Luigi, but another Italian name starts with the L. No. They're hugging and kissing, and we've got a private room, and he's like, put the menus away. I'm going to take care of everything. It was a $4,000 dinner for 10 people. $400 a head? Jeez. And that didn't include all the wine that Dan brought in. Right, Opus One, you know, four hundred bucks a right, bottle. You right. know, yeah, well, a corking fee is probably three hundred ninety-nine dollars. Yeah, so it could have been. I who knows? Probably true. A corking fee. That they do that these yep. days. But I didn't eat again until well this morning, and that dinner was Thursday night. I've yep. never eaten so much food in my life. It yeah, was it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was great. Oh my God, what did you eat? Diet show. Everything. I mean, they just brought out everything. everything. What was it? I mean, give me, come on, Mr. Nissan. If it existed in Italy, I I ate ate everything. I ate some spaghetti. I ate some olio. But I got. I did, they did have a sort of entrees, and I had sea bass over risotto with a lobster sauce. They apparently put lobster on everything. So you order filet, it's got lobster on it. And Mm -hmm. it's got, which lobster must be cheaper now, because at one point it's supposed to be really expensive. No, it is not. But I've been seeing it so many places. Very expensive. Huh. Last time. It was a high V. Live lobsters were twenty six bucks a that's pound. That's not that much different than it's been, I don't think. A pound? That's yeah. not great. That's a yeah, lot. Well, it's still, still expensive, but yeah. My favorite was uh, Brian Zepp went and bought a lobster roll and a beer, and it was sixty seven dollars. Oh Where did you buy the lobster roll? Uh, God, I don't even know. Because the best lobster roll in the world isn't that expensive. No, I've no it's it not, is I it? I know. <laughs> yeah, you do know. You're absolutely right about that. Been way too many of those. And you've so. had those, haven't you? Yeah. The lobster roll's phenomenal. They're great. And you got to put the them on a hot dog bun. You know, when they make fancy ones, it's like, no, no, no. It's, it's a toasted no, hot it's dog gotta bun. has got to be a hot dog That's bun. You're absolutely yeah. right about that. So did they have any aholio stuff or not? Uh, no. Okay. That's still my favorite in Chicago when your Hall of Fame thing, when you guys came into the restaurant and I was already eating downstairs. They were, he was so eating at the bar the already. The guy in the back, especially, make me some spaghetti aolio. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> You're already eating. It's He's like down yeah, there eating. I get spaghetti aolio from the kitchen. It was it's awesome. Hungry. Well, it's not. It was awesome. You know? I imagine. Yeah. That stuff is that. You know, I got to get back. I have not been there in a long, long time. I got to get to Boston. I have not been there in probably 40 years. Never been there in my life. You know, it's my hometown, but it's I, sadly it's not my... There are parts of Boston I like, but generally it's it's really hard to get through. And downtown itself is gross. It's, it's got like the it's big designed dig. by the Russians. It's got the cathedral in it. Yeah, it does. So the big dig. What about that? You know, Did like they ever Beacon finish Hill. it? Yeah. So when we got done, uh, Tom Ryan, as you know, and myself mm-hmm. and one of the guys from Kansas City... 
were going to uh, fly back at the same time, but the, the Israelis were going to stick around and they were switching rental cars. So we're like, well, let's have lunch before you guys take off. It's like 2 in the afternoon. I said, okay, where do you want to go? Tom Ryan goes, well, let's go to Cheers. I'm like, Cheers? Jeez. <laughs> All right. So if you don't know where it is, it's kind of in the heart of Boston, right near uh, the Boston Commons, which is the big open space uh, near Beacon Hill. And it's impossible to find a place to park there. So we're driving around forever. And it actually, Cheers is where it was the concept for the, for the show and the entryway shots that you see where they go down the stairs that's actually the bar mm. but the bar itself it's is a set, this, yeah it's just tiny and it doesn't look anything like the TV show and it's just set up to take large amounts of money off tourists mm -hmm. <laughs> if you need an $11 draft beer that's, that's the spot the to go yeah. oh, really? did it have like cheers memorabilia oh they had the merch room yep. okay yeah <laughs> they had the front bar merch the merch room, room the back room mm back bar but uh yeah it's if you need to have bar food and spend eighty dollars mm -hmm. for lunch that's the spot to go that is amazing i did love that show though that oh, was great. a great show back in the day the greatest place in the world is there that's all so what's that Fenway park Fenway yeah. park the cathedral the home of the everything the home of the everything yep. is yep. that correct yeah everything in the Center world of the universe i still love even, the fact even field of dreams they went there did they? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't remember where that. the scoreboard lit up, right? Yeah. 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 I still love the fact they got that 40-foot wall in the left field line. Mm -hmm. I just, and I'm assuming that's, that's just how big the lot was, so they had to build it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, they, yeah it's just, that was just the design the they went with at the time. Jim Wright used to hit balls off that, that wall so hard, the shortstop would field them. I yeah. remember. Yeah. yeah he that lost was... lots of doubles and home runs off that wall. Ted Williams is one of his great skills, in, in, in addition to being one of the greatest hitters that ever played. He could play defense off that wall and, and picked up a lot of balls. There was quite an art to it. But mm -hmm. you're right. I mean, that was built over 120 years ago. God, is that right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think I remember the very first game was Harvard versus the Red Sox, and Harvard won. Really? About that too. Yeah. <laughs> what a great story that is. It might not be true. Andy, could you uh, let's have another first episode of Fenway. Andy looks up stuff for old guys on the internet? Yeah, Fenway Park's 110 years old. Yep. 110. This what year, was it, actually. What it was the first game? Uh, let's see here. I bet you're right. I bet you're right about that. Yeah, in the, yeah 1912. I think. The Red Sox were maybe the Braves. Let's see here. First yeah, it opened April twentieth, nineteen twelve. So who was put? Who played the first game? First game. Let's see. I forgot about the Boston Braves. Yeah. It's a while ago. Yeah, a couple of runs. Of the Braves. Yeah, Babe yeah, Ruth coached for the yeah, Braves. Yeah, Red Sox. No, Red Sox beat Harvard. Oh but yes, it was Harvard. Red Sox okay. and Harvard two zero. Which two zero? You know. All right, it was close. Yeah, we're. That that ballpark is older than World War One. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, it's older than World War One. First regular season game. Uh, was when it opened, April 20th, uh, Red Sox and the New York Highlanders. The Highlanders. The Highlanders. That's <laughs> going back a ways. Mm -hmm. What was the name of the first NFL team in Minnesota? Do you guys know that? That was the one in Duluth, wasn't it? Yep, um, they were in Duluth. The Duluth, uh, what, were this, what was their name? The Duluth. It was like a the Bears or the Duluth. Like, no, um, you could not use that name today. They would not allow yeah, kind of like the Cleveland Indians the Duluth, are now the Guardians. Duluth Negroes? No. <laughs> yes, no. the Duluth Negroes. That's what it was. Uh, Duluth. 
I know it. I Eskimos? Can't. Yep. yep. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Oh, really? Duluth Eskimos. Yep, there you go. Yep, you could not be calling a team the Eskimos these days. Well, Eskimos are Canadian, so it doesn't make any sense anyway. Well, that's true. That's very, very true. But I don't know what the hell. Yeah, that. Uh, you know, uh, let me ask you a question because you only got a couple minutes left. Can, can you stay for a, a bit of the second part? Sure. You gotta get Whatever going. you want. No. You stick around all. You're going to be on Thursday until two fifteen. So I'm good. Good. We just need to do sixty seconds of actual work at some point. What do you mean? This, I'm busting past. my ass here right I'm now. This is actual work. It's just I'm at me. shoulder to the wheel, yeah. and this is what I get, Michael. That, he has that flimsy Thursday attitude. Not <laughs> flimsy. The flimsy Thursday. Attitude the flimsy of Thursday. Oh, by the way, both of you need to know that I got. I talked to Dan Chesky, and he wants to have another dinner. Great. And I think he probably wants to go back where we were. That was. Uh, we, where were we at Murray's? Oh, uh, no, down at. Um, down at, oh, Jesus, my buddy owns the place, too, and I can't remember uh, the name Homewood. Not Homewood. Something like that. It's something like Homewood. Mm-hmm. Crap. It's, it is. Um, what the hell's the name of that place? he just opened another one in Woodbury. Yeah, yeah there's one yeah. in St. Louis Park. doing really well. Yeah, there's one in St. Louis Park now, too. Oh, he's, we can't remember the name. Terrible marketing there. He's terrific, though. Home great food? guy. Yeah. He's a member of Golden Valley. That's why I met him. Just a great, great guy. Really nice man. But, uh, yeah, so Chesky wants to get together with the wives and cool. have a little dinner and... You know, you know, because Moon doesn't get out much anymore, from what I understand. Which I'm sorry to no, hear. No, you know, it's funny. I ran into Grant at uh, KS when I was over there earlier today, and he says you should call him. He's a little, he's been a little down, and it's like I haven't talked to him God, in a I month it. or so, so. I got to talk to him too. I absolutely. What a great guy. The wife's far too good for him, just like the rest of us. Yep. You know what I'm saying? I do. What the hell? It's young. Where's speaking of the wife? Where's the missus? She uh, doesn't feel well, and Alex is not here because Fawny has the, the big C, but she's not sick. Fawn's okay. got cancer. Oh, COVID. All right. <laughs> what do you think? No, no not big, cancer. I said, oh, no, my that, God, you're that right. That is the big C. You're right. That is the big That's C. That's why I was a little C. horrified. It's yeah. like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. She's just casually, yeah. Like, cool. She's not yeah, yeah, sick. Fawn's yeah, got leukemia. Not sick, you know. yeah. It's just leukemia. Shake it off. I didn't even think about that. What a dope. Hazelwood. Hazelwood. There, there you go. go. There you go. You guys just get confused because of the other places you've been. Yeah, Hazelden. <laughs> well, Hollywood. Hazelwood. You know, Hazeltine. We've been out there. I went to treatment know. at yeah. Hazeltine and I lost four balls in the first nine holes. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, really? How'd you, when'd you come up with that? Just one? then. I just, just wrote now. it you, right in my head. Do you remember that article when Royce went out there and shot like a 156 or something? Oh, yes, some? I do. Yeah. I used to play golf Panther with him. Played, played together out there. He, he, he played with who? Gene Panzer. He's a guy I knew oh, from uh, Public Golf Association. Oh, they really? Both shot like a. They played from the USA U.S. Open tees. Oh, you don't want to do was, that. It was Come a on tough in. Day. I did that from seven. From How are you? Hello. What's the latest? Come on in. Take a seat. Oh, Life about will be this hour. Yeah, the hour. The first hour is coming to an end. Grinding to a halt. Grinding. A lot of grinding. Yeah, I played out there the day after the U.S. Open, and was it in 91 or something? Oh, my God. How you go 15? If you hit a ball oh, into God. the rough, you, there, there was, and in fairness, the pros, they never lose those because there's so many people staying playing Right, around. right. As an amateur, there's nobody watching me play golf. So That's it's like, oh, very true. Not even going to look for that one. I eagled a hole out there. Did you really? Yep. yep. The one, the water. I think it's 15 now, and then it was 7, or they moved it. But um, it was right after Chip Beck had they'd been out there for the Ryder Cup back 
a oh, long yeah. time ago. Yeah, a long time and ago. And Chip Beck laid up on that hole. And so the guy with me says, well, what would Chip Beck do? I said, lay up. And I friggin' hammered one right within three feet of the hole. Did you really? Rolled in the... the and you made uh, the putt? Good Made the good putt boy. straight in. And, and it kind of, the member we were with, it kind of upset him. But what I understood is he told people for years about the guy he was with that had an eagle on that Yeah, hole. there you go. <laughs> so you tin cupped it. Yep. Did you ever get out there for any of the PGA events? Oh, yeah. I went, I went out there for... Uh, I was out there for the Open that Stuart won. Oh, okay. Um, and I was out there for something else, it seems. So. 16, that hole, you know, yep. dog right, yep. goes out to the water. I played that from the tees, the back tees, yeah. There were at least three guys when I sat there that almost drove that green. Oh, yeah. Huh? I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. That is a long, long shot, and they they did, they did a that great cut job. off the water and go over the top. So yeah. Landon, Landon just came in. Landon Banks just came in. Landon, I got a, a, I just made this big, huge mistake because I have a granddaughter, and she is, she's not sick. She's got she's got a malady, but she's not sick. You know, little kids sometimes yeah. mm-hmm. don't feel it. She got COVID actually, oh, no. but she's not sick. And I, like a moron, I'm talking to Doug, and I go, yeah, she got the big C. He thought I meant cancer. <laughs> like, oh. whoa! But because that's what they do call the big Z, isn't it? That's right. Yes. My mistake. That's all I have to say. Landon, one of the things that I, we're going to have Landon up in the next segment, but I, we're going to wrap this one up, but I just wanted to tell you, I just love the name of your new song. Thank you so much. I wish much. we were a lot more honest about life and just go, can we just all call it Sissy Boys? It's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, don't you think... Thank you. Yes, yes. I, I think it's very catchy. I wish I could say that I wrote the song, but I did my version of it. So thank you to Donnie West for writing it and coming up with that wonderful title. And oh, he's I'm, the one who came up with the title? And he wrote it about 15 years ago, and I was in his music video for it. And now I, I remember have, you told me that, yeah. Yes, I have my chance to do my version of it, and our music video is going to come out in about a week or two. Oh, it is? Yes, and the song drops on Wednesday, June 8th. On digital uh, platforms, so. Do we have any? Do, do, you don't have the song with you, do you? It should. Oh, you do. Andy good. Does. Andy's got, go good, because I want to hear it. Should Me we take too. a break here? Come back in about five minutes. Landon Banks is with us. Michael Bryant's with us. Doug Sprint. I got to stick it? around to hear this. Oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> See, I just once again, everybody is so touchy about words now. Is it? Would you settle down, for God's sake? <laughs> I happen to think, to tell you the truth. That the term "sissy boys" is very endearing, is it not? I think so. I, that's what I think. use it and who you say it to. Well, I suppose if you, yeah, oh, yeah. But if I go like this, Michael Bryan. Yeah, that's not like a swear. You can make word. anything a slur if well, you want. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I can pick a place you can walk into and say that, and good luck. <laughs> I get my ass handed to yeah, me. Is yeah, that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, I might get yeah. knocked out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the old Manny the Horse thing at the New York Steakhouse. <laughs> yeah, Manny the Horse. You know that story, don't no. you? Well, you know. Oh, I'll tell that. Li- Closing out, many, many years ago in the early 1980s when Catherine and I lived in New York, I went to the New York Steakhouse with a friend. I'm sitting there, and there was a guy about from me to Landon, and he's got three napkins down his shirt. Not one, not two, but three. Mr. Creosote? And he's literally eating like this. Like that. I'm not kidding. So back in those days, I used to maybe have a glass of wine with dinner now and then. Is that when they called glasses bottles? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's Sorry. how it's going to go. So I just look at the guy and go, hey. And he looks at me. And I go, could you just quiet down a little bit? My God, that's obnoxious. As soon as I'm done saying it, the manager comes over and puts his hand on my shoulder, leans over to my right ear, and he goes, 
that's Manny the horse. He will kill you. And I went, whoops. <laughs> Did I turn white enough, you think? <laughs> I will never forget that as long as I... I'm calling a mafia Don a pain in the ass. What a great idea that was. That worked out. And you lived to tell about it, too, I right? didn't live to tell about it. Then. Yes. But once, once he saw the look on my face after the manager was talking to me, he saw the look on my face, and he just started laughing. He thought it was like, uh, uh, uh. He thought that was hilarious. It's like, no, I'll definitely. let him go. I'll let this one slide. Yeah. You're going to let it slide because you got to laugh out of it. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you on Monday with the family.